All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Good morning. It is Monday, June 13th. I'm Mo Shwanunu, and this is the first ever Mo News Podcast. I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Jill Wagner. Hey, Jill. Hey, Mosh. Good morning to you. Uh, So much news for our very first podcast here. A group of Republican and Democratic senators have agreed on a tentative package of new gun laws. Some new inflation data, not going to be a surprise to anyone who's been shopping recently. The latest product shortage and why one company is blaming Amy Schumer and fashionably late, no longer fashionable, why it is now cool to be on time. And speaking of being on time, Mosh, this podcast almost did not happen. Uh, I am eight and a half months pregnant, living out of a bag at my in-laws, which is a story for another time. And you, your car broke down today, uh, but we made it work. We did make it work after a couple hours. Uh, we, I was able to successfully jump the car, but again, This uh, episode is not about us, Jill. It is about (laughs) the folks and the stories they care about. Uh, We do want to mention Moshe. Well, it's not about us, but I do want to mention that Moshe is currently alternating drinks right now. I believe there's a coffee and also a strawberry gazoze. I I think that's a cocktail that is apparently non-alcoholic, allegedly, the recipe from his trip to Israel. Um, But I I don't know, Moshe, I guess we'll see how uh, weird this podcast gets to determine whether or not there's alcohol in that thing. I I promise it's a virgin cocktail, Jill, in solidarity with you being eight and a half months pregnant. (laughs) I'm not going to have more fun than you today. (laughs) Um, All right, everybody. Welcome officially to the Mo News podcast. I am Jill Wagner with, of course, Moshe Winunu. Hey, Moshe. Hey, Jill, I am very excited, um, and we'll get to the headlines in just a moment, but I should mention that uh, Jill and I will be doing this go- moving forward a couple times a week. We look forward to your feedback, see how this goes. Uh, the podcast feed will also include an audio version in coming weeks of the weekly Instagram show that I do with my wife, Mondays with Motion Alex, as well as the interviews we do for the newsletter. So stay tuned for all of that on this podcast feed. All right, let's uh, get started here. And we're going to start with, of course, that deal on gun laws. A bipartisan group of senators announced the framework for gun reform legislation. If passed, this would be the most significant piece of gun legislation in about three decades. Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut, he has been working on this since the Sandy Hook school shooting 10 years ago. He was the key negotiator of this deal. He wrote on Twitter, 
Quote, will this bill do everything we need to end our nation's gun violence epidemic? No, but it's real, meaningful progress. So here's what this includes, according to Murphy, funding to help states that want to fund red flag laws uh, that will let law enforcement temporarily take weapons away from people who pose a danger to themselves or others. I want to mention 19 states actually already have these laws on the books. There's billions in new funding for mental health and school safety. They'll be closing the, quote, boyfriend loophole so that no domestic partner, um, excuse me, no domestic abuser, a spouse or a dating partner can buy a gun if they're convicted of abuse against their partner. Also, some enhanced background checks for gun buyers who are under 21, a short pause as well to conduct that check. Um, There is plenty, though, that's not in here as well. Right, Mosh? Right. Democrats, President Biden and a few moderate Republicans did not get everything they wanted. Um, What's not included? There's no return to the ban on semi-automatic weapons that the U.S. did have from 1994 that elapsed in 2004. That was something Democrats wanted to bring back. Uh, There's no ban on Americans under 21 buying semi-automatic weapons, which a few Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, were open to and would have signed up for. Uh, There's also no federal red flag law. You mentioned red flag laws. That's funding for states who choose to implement them. Um, The good news here, though, is in the times we live in, 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats got together, 10 Republicans being more key here, because that then gets the 50 Democrats to the 60 vote threshold they need to pass something uh and we should note this is an agreement in principle jill uh they technically will have enough votes if they can then turn this into a bill and get it to president biden's desk also get it to the u.s house uh they have to translate this agreement in principle to legal language uh and one note because this is congress and it's summer they go on summer break a week from friday And uh, so they will have to move quickly if they want to get this done this month. Remind me to be a Congress member in my next life. There's more vacation than any any other job I've ever heard of. Congress would tell you that they have important work to do at home with their constituents and the people they represent. I will say, though, that uh, typical weeks, uh, having covered the U.S. House and Senate, begin Tuesday morning and Thursday afternoon. Um, most weeks. So, uh, but but most significantly here is this is the most significant gun legislation in 30 years, Jill. Even though it doesn't necessarily cover everything that advocates um, on the left wanted to see. And that's what I was going to ask you. How big a deal is this? Because I, I was looking at Chris Murphy's Twitter feed and, and just looking at some of the reaction. A lot of praise for him. Uh, David Hogg, uh, who started the March for Our Lives, at Parkland shooting survivor, he praised it and said, look, I, I knew this time was different, of course, because of so much momentum with, with three mass shootings we just had in particular at an elementary school in Texas. Um, but then there's a lot of people who feel like this just didn't go far enough. So so walk us through it. I, I, I think one of the things that keep in mind is if you look at national polling, even among gun owners, um, they would agree uh, to some enhanced uh, mental health checks and background checks, especially those who consider themselves responsible gun owners, right? Um, we'll say here, uh, nothing really came out of Sandy Hook, uh, which disenchanted a lot of folks. And so a lot of gun uh, control advocates went to the state houses to try to get things passed. The NRA has fallen in hard times in recent years, but still holds a lot of power when it comes to elections. Um, I think that for most advocates, including most Democrats, they see this as if any of these measures can save a life, make it a little more challenging for someone with ill intent or uh, mentally unwell to get access to a gun, then mission accomplished, so to speak. 
And again, in the politically precarious times we live in, in these very partisan times, the fact that you actually, you know, when I saw the headline on Sunday of Republicans and Democrats have an agreement on something, <laughs> that that just seemed like, whoa, whoa, maybe, maybe uh, you know, uh, we can agree on some things in this country. Um, another big story from the weekend, 31 white supremacists were arrested outside of a pride event in northern Idaho. They were part of a group that's called the Patriot Front. They were planning to riot near a pride LGBTQ event. Uh, police say they were all loaded into this U-Haul van wearing khakis and white masks. After they arrested, uh, were arrested, videos on social media showed them kneeling with their hands tied behind their backs. Some were wearing shirts that said Reclaim America. Police say that the men came from across the country, including states like Washington, Oregon, Illinois, South Dakota, Virginia, and Texas. The people in the van had shields and riot gear. At least one person, according to police, had a smoke grenade. You know, we, in New York especially, we've seen all of those signs on the subway that say, you know, if you see something, say something. In this case, it was actually a tip from, from somebody in the public that led police to these guys, right? The police, in a briefing, said they did receive several tips from the community. On Saturday afternoon, they got a call from a conservative citizen who was like, yo, there are 20 dudes jumping in the back of a U-Haul van with masks that look sort of military-like. Um, so that, of course, uh, you know, then led the police minutes later within a block of this LGBTQ event to pull over the U-Haul. And there's video that people can find on Twitter. And I think I posted on my Instagram feed of uh, the police uh, opening up the door uh, and all the men coming out with their hands out. Um, they were packed in there. And uh, thank God, you know, sometimes when people do see something, they say something. And, uh, you know, ultimately uh, a little piece, I guess, of good news, despite their ill intent. Um, here is what we know about this group. According to the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, Patriot Front, they are based in Texas. It is a white supremacist group that actually broke off from another white supremacist group after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville back in 2017. And apparently this is their M.O. in terms of what they were trying to do um, with this demonstration, right? Yeah, they, they create these sort of flash demonstrations that they hope go viral online and then help them with recruitment. Uh, members tend to wear these uniform of sorts, the khakis, blue and white polo shirts, masks, uh, use smoke bombs. Uh, by the way, as you said, they did break off from the white another white supremacist group in 2017. Interestingly, as you read into it, and by the way, these guys are not very good at their um, information security because a lot of their conversations have leaked online and been reported out by media. But apparently they thought that the other hate groups using swastikas and racist symbols were hurting their marketing. So they decided hmm. to reframe their priorities around America and patriotism. I mean, it's kind of sick to think about, but they've literally been trying to recruit people to their extremist white supremacist cause with a friendlier, softer type of hate. They may have a point. I mean, I, I'm not I, I I understand, I think, where they're going with it. Um, but, yeah, it's a little bit disturbing it's, to think about. It's totally it's totally disturbing. But it's fascinating to see kind of that within these sort of hate groups, they're like, well, how do we get more people to our side? And so these guys tried to go a different direction. And, and we'll see what comes out of this. We're still waiting a lot more details on what exactly they had planned. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about the economy right now. Inflation coming in hot. Prices are continuing to surge for everything from gas and food 
to housing and airline tickets, the consumer price index or the price of basic goods and services like food and gas jumped 8.6% from May of 2021 to May of this year. That is a 40-year high. It shows inflation has not yet peaked. CPI even rose 1% just in the one month from April to May alone. Uh, Most, this was a lot worse than expected. The stock market on Friday plunging in response. A lot of reasons are behind it. So President Biden has been blaming Russia and the war in Ukraine and also shipping companies that he says, quote, have raised their prices by as much as a thousand percent. Unfortunately, though, it isn't that simple, which means there's not really a simple solution uh, because there's just a lot of factors at play here. Totally. And I think there's some folks who are critical of uh, President Biden of trying to oversimplify it or overly blame outside factors on it, especially given the administration was sort of caught flat footed here on this inflation response. Even when you talk to Democratic economists who were saying last year, take this seriously, folks. So this is what's going into inflation right now. There's labor costs, which is the flood of workers leaving their jobs uh, has forced employees to now pay more, right? Because ultimately the great resignation now means that you need workers because there's still demand. Well, when you have to pay those workers more as you recruit them, you got to pay them with money that's coming in. Well, who's getting charged? Those are being passed on to the consumers. Then you have energy costs. Officially gas hit $5 this weekend, average nationwide. Um, that's going to triple A. And so not only are consumers paying more, but the companies are now transporting food, other products. They're paying more also being passed on to consumers. Diesel, by the way, we should note, is much more expensive than even the gas that we put in sort of our our, our vehicles. And then, of course, you have, uh, even before the war in Ukraine, energy prices were skyrocketing because of low inventory and pent-up demand. Then the sanctions happened to uh, came upon Russia, one of the world's largest energy producers. On top of that, China lifted its lockdowns. That's 1.4 billion people who now needs fuel and items. Anything else? So you have like... <laughs> Well, it's, it's so interesting because people are like, well, how do we fix inflation? I was like, well, how long do you have and how many factors are there? And so there's to a certain extent, yes, the White House can't do that much when it comes to this sort of thing. At the same time, um, you know, especially coming up on how much spending we did, like I think we printed like $5 trillion between the two Trump stimulus plans plus the Biden stimulus plan. So there's a lot going on and the Fed only has a handful of tools in its toolkit to be able to deal with this. Uh, and speaking of the Fed, uh, they're having a big meeting this week, which um, it's on Tuesday and Wednesday. And, you know, basically they can they can raise interest rates. The question is just by how much. Um, and it's a balancing act because they need to raise rates enough to actually bring down inflation and cool the economy a bit, but not so much that it triggers a recession. It's a really tricky dance for them because you know, literally their job right now is to cool down the economy, which is not necessarily what, you know, you typically want to hear from uh, policymakers is like, well, no, guys, the economy is going too strong right now. We have to chill it out because demand's too high. But then uh, at the same time, they can't slow it down so badly that we go into recession or depression, God forbid. At the same time, so the Fed has interest rates they can play with. They can't make labor shortages disappear. They can't end the war in Ukraine. They can't boost the oil supply. Um, so there's only limited things they can do. I will say, if we're looking for some good news, Jill, the housing market has appeal has appeared to cool down. Used car prices, which were making up a lot of um, inflation initially, um, have cooled down a bit. So there's a bit of good news. But at the same time, as you were saying at the top, they were not expecting even May inflation to be as bad as it was. So to what extent will they be able to kind of get their hands around where we're at and what needs to be done. 
Uh, somewhat related, but switching gears here. Uh, first, it was toilet paper. Then it was baby food. It still is baby food, actually. Uh, but now the latest product shortage is tampons. Um, it is the product shortage that no one is talking about, according to Time. But now top retailers have confirmed that there is, in fact, a shortage of tampons in this country. Women actually have been complaining about this for a while on social media. There are reports of empty shelves in stores, price gouging at online retailers like Amazon. Amazon is denying that. Um, but most not that this really needs to be said, but we're just talking about another must have item and like with baby formula, which for many babies, is literally the only thing that they can eat for the first few months of their life. For women, biology is biology, and and that time of the month comes regardless of whether there are tampons on the shelves. So what is the issue here? Why is this happening? I know. It's it, it, it's incredible because it's, it's just like the responses I've gotten from folks on Instagram are like, wait, where did this come from? I wasn't. I didn't have this on my 2022 bingo card. <laughs> and we've learned so much about the supply chain the past two years. So part of the problem here is supply constraints around the world in relation to a couple components related to tampons. That's cotton, rayon, and plastic. All of those materials are also used to make medical products like personal protective equipment um, and all the PPE that we've needed in recent years. So they've been in high demand since the pandemic started. And then the war in Ukraine throw this in the mix, has made it worse. Why? Russia and Ukraine are major exporters of fertilizer, fertilizer needed for cotton. There's also been a drought in Texas. So again, you have this sort of these global factors going in. And so when you see an empty store shelf, you we can start to draw a line for you on the like five global factors that somehow have led to that empty shelf. We need to, of course, also talk about the, I think, somewhat bizarre response from Procter & Gamble. Um, they're the, the company that makes Tampax and Always products. Um, first, though, they say the problem is temporary. So that is per- perhaps some good news. But they do admit that, quote, getting raw and packed materials to the places we need to get them continues to be costly and, ha- and highly volatile. Uh, the company spokesperson also says demand has absolutely exploded since they launched this ad campaign in July of 2020 Featuring comedian Amy Schumer. So they're kind of like punting to Amy Schumer here. A little weird. Yeah, we should note this is not affecting all brands. The Amy Schumer thing was a little bizarre. Um, So Amy (laughs) uh, appeared in some ads. Apparently, according to Procter & Gamble, she so blew up the tampon market. Everyone was like, oh, I need those tampons. Notwithstanding biology. And so Amy Schumer... Who's, who recently had a hysterectomy, responded with an Instagram post with the headline with her being blamed for the tampon charge, and she wrote a caption, whoa, I don't even have a uterus. And so got a lot of attention related to her response there. By the way... Um, I'm sorry again, you had to not- do that joke, Mosh, because it was like, <laughs> it didn't totally land from your mouth, no. but I, it was funny no. when Amy Schumer wrote it on Instagram. I, I, I promise all of you, head to Amy Schumer's Instagram account. It's much funnier the way she said it with her tone. Um, but, but of course, like, you know, you're seeing shortages with other brands and not some brands. And so that doesn't, Amy, the, the whole excuse doesn't make any sense. Time now for our speed read. It's a it's a quick, we think it's going to be quick, a quick look at some uh, of our other stories that we're following, plucked straight from the newspaper or website headlines. And I want to start with this one from USA Today, 
which really uh, hit home for me. It's the title, Pandemic Babies Are Behind. Years of stress, isolation have affected their brain development. Um, Emerging evidence reveals an uptick in developmental delays and challenging behaviors in children belonging to the so-called COVID generation. Born during or shortly before the pandemic, many of these children are talking, walking, and interacting later and less frequently. And they're also more prone to certain behaviors like outbursts, physical aggression, and separation anxiety. Yeah, Jill, in in many cases, the adults in their lives have suffered unrelenting, unprecedented levels of emotional or financial stress in these past couple of years, I think is what we can attest to. And so that is stress that pandemic babies have absorbed at a time when their brains are developing at a faster rate than at any other point in sort of your human growth experience. So many early childhood experts are saying children are not as good at playing with one another or at any activities that involve sharing or paying attention. And I guess that's more so than typical toddlers or younger kids that age. But Jill, you you have a three and a half year old uh, and technically would be considered this sort of COVID generation. What do you make of it? And what has your experience been like? So it's not totally surprising. I mean, I, my, I only have this, I only have one child, one on the way. So I don't have anything to compare it to. Um, but for basically more than a year, two years, there were no birthday parties, no play dates, um, very, very few family gatherings. We wore masks everywhere that we went. We avoided crowds, which means no parades. I mean, a lot of stuff was canceled, right? No plays, no parades. And even in school up until recently, they still wore masks. So I guess it would be crazy to think that this wouldn't have an impact on the way that kids socialize and and they're first learning to interact with each other. Um, and, And as you mentioned, though, the other key point here is really the parents as well, who are so overstressed with parenting and work, and in many cases, no childcare. Uh, We talk about products in short supply, but childcare is one of those things as well that we've seen a real shortage of. Um, And kids absorb everything and pick up on that stress and anxiety. Yeah, I mean, this is something that people are saying also, the critics of remote schooling, et cetera. I mean, people are sort of between a rock and a hard place in terms of COVID, but then also, saying this is going to have a real impact on kids, uh, you know, the, the mask wearing, the not being in school, the not socializing uh, with other kids. We saw even most recently in New York City, I think last week, that the mayor for the first time lifted the mask mandate on two to five-year-olds, which were the last group of all age groups left with a mask mandate in New York City. And we're also seeing some issues here with older kids as well. Um, nearly 40% of teens have reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, according to a new CDC survey. So uh, our, our kids are in need of, of a lot of support right now, uh, having gone through uh, this stress. And you know, here's, here's hoping that we'll have some more semblance of normalcy in the years to come that'll help help alleviate some of these issues. Yeah, I mean, I will say parents of toddlers have felt, I think, a little bit like like left out from the return to normalcy. You know, and you and I have talked about this a lot offline, where we're in such different places, you know, where I'm pregnant, I'm still like high risk, I've got a young kid, so I'm still living in, in COVID, um, you know, in, in a pandemic era, um, and you have, have moved on, you know, and I'm jealous of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm still still trying to be responsible, but yes, I, I, I <laughs> you're don't not have like to ra- going to raves and stuff without masks and whatnot. But my rave days are long over, Jill. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I I don't have to deal with the concerns when I book a you know a book a flight with my wife. Um, you know, 
that uh, well, how, how are we going to manage our three-year-old? And, and uh, did someone in their class, I mean, as you've told me, like, uh, was, you know, COVID was present. So now all the kids have to be home for a few days and, and the constant um, barrage of changes that you have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, uh, on the note of COVID, though, the COVID test to return to the U.S. by air will be dropped. That headline from the New York Times, international travelers no longer have to provide a negative coronavirus test to enter the U.S. The mandate had been in place since January of 2021. The U.S. Travel Association predicts that dropping this mandate will bring about 5.4 million more visitors to the U.S. and an additional $9 billion in travel spending by the end of 2022. International travelers still need to be fully vaccinated, though, to enter the United States. Yeah, the U.S. had gone to this and also changed the requirement in the fall, I believe, to within 24 hours of your flight, which made it difficult if you were traveling abroad or coming here, that you had to find an immediate test. Um, and so the travel industry uh, was advocating for a while to the White House being like, please drop this requirement. Even uh, when Alex and I traveled most recently last week, the, the requirement was still in place. So we had to find a test. Uh, near the airport as we were leaving the Middle East, that we knew we would get results before our flight that would be relevant to the 24-hour standard. And it, it was a given kind of where the mask mandates have gone and the vaccine mandates, and they've all sort of gone by the wayside. It was sort of this relic from 2021 that folks in the travel industry especially and travelers were uh, looking forward to being dropped. Uh, Phoenix, Vegas, Denver post records amid Southwest heat wave. Uh, that's from the AP. The National Weather Service in Phoenix reporting a temperature of 114 degrees Fahrenheit, tying the record high for the date set back in 1918. Las Vegas tying a record for the day set in 1956. Temperatures soared to 109 degrees Fahrenheit. In Colorado, Denver hit 100 degrees Fahrenheit, tying a record set in 2013 for both the high temperature and also the earliest calendar day to reach 100 degrees. Yeah, these are often the temperatures you'll see out west more like August. You're seeing them in June now, so the summer just feels this extreme heat of the summer is a three-month situation as opposed to a three-week situation. <laughs> and it also, uh, you know, leaves to the imagination what sort of temps we could be seeing in August. And a lot of the Southwest especially um, has been dealing with drought for nearly 20 years now, uh, water issues uh, that are, those issues are only becoming more acute uh, over the next, uh, or have been over the last few years and will be over the next few years. And so a lot of the uh, leadership and companies there and residents there are you know, starting to try to figure out how can we basically adjust to this new reality where 100 degree temps will be basically be something we're dealing with for an entire summer. You know, we always hear about, at least I was, when people talk about the heat out, out West, it's always like, well, it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. But <laughs> it, it feels like degrees. that's still going to be really hot. Um, yeah. Uh, we, uh, when I was in Egypt a couple of weeks ago, it was uh, 114. It was a dry heat as well in the Sahara Desert. That is really hot. I don't care how dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is maybe one of my favorite stories today. Punctuality is having a moment that from the New York Times. In 2022, it is apparently no longer fashionable to be fashionably late, a change that seems to have arisen from the pandemic now in its third year. So during the first phase, when video conferencing became the norm for many office workers nationwide, people who had previously struggled with being on time found themselves no longer held up by commutes or workplace gossip sessions. No more excuses, Mosh. What, what are you going to blame being late on, right? 
Exactly. I mean, Jill, have you have you ever gone into the Zooms and you're like kind of hoping everyone is a couple minutes late and you come in and you see that they're all just like 10 faces all staring at you being like, it's 6.03. Where have you been? And what um, could possibly be your excuse? Because you're actually in bed right now. Right. Like, yeah, I, I can't blame it on kids. Like, you can't. Oh, my kid was uh, doing it. Like, I, I couldn't blame it. Like, what's going on? Wi-Fi issues? Um, what's interesting is I was reading that story, by the way, is they found they were talking to uh, the CEO of Open Table, the digital restaurant reservation company, where they're finding that uh, since the pandemic, they're seeing a surge in online reservation activity, less walk-ins, more reservations. Um and so people are planning ahead, scheduling the timing. And what they're seeing also is people doing earlier dinners because there's less commute time because more some certain amount of people are able to work from home. So it is interesting um, how this punctuality trend uh, is impacting industries, you know, across across the spectrum. That's really fascinating. If, if I had been out to dinner anytime recently, I would have noticed that more people were there when I usually go, which is like 5.30 p.m. You know, I'm, I'm the early bird. One of my uh, challenges, just for myself, I've always been sort of the person who runs five to 10 minutes late. So I've been working on that over time. And I feel like the pandemic has challenged me to be... <laughs> <laughs> to, to try to cut down on that amount. I'm, I'm so with you, actually. It's, it's a miracle we're getting this thing out today, now that we mention it. Um, <laughs> all right, let's do a little bit of Good Mood Monday. This is actually um, just how we do it in our Monday newsletter, because we like to start the week with something a little bit uplifting. I'm going to kick this off. There was some major medical news that you might have actually missed this past week. Early trials of a drug to treat rectal cancer led to remission in all 12 patients. So this clearly was a small trial. A lot more testing needs to be done. But the results are pretty much unheard of. Um, they took this drug. It's called Dostorlimab. I probably butchered that pronunciation. Um, but they, the patients took that for six months. And afterward, there was no identifiable cancer in any of the participants. All of their scans came back completely clear. None of the 12 patients at that point needed further treatment like chemo or radiation. Uh, one of the doctors from Memorial Sloan Kettering who, who worked on this study said that he believed that this is the first time this has happened in the history of cancer. Uh, so just nice to have a little hope, right? Totally. I mean, we, we've all been, I don't know a single person who's not been impacted by cancer by someone in their lives, friends, family, etc. So when you see that headline, by the way, coupled with another headline last week, Jill, uh, related to prostate cancer and mRNA technology, some of the same technology being used for a couple of those vaccines being adapted for uh, cancer, um, really, you know, gives gives one hope. And given the amount of investment and the number of years they've been studying cancer, um, let's keep our fingers crossed um, on, on that front. Though I, I, I have good news for you on a slightly different front, Jill. Okay, let's hear it. So there's an innovative project. I don't know how you feel about rats, but they are training <laughs> Not rats. Not great. What they call, <laughs> but maybe this will make you feel better if God forbid you're caught in natural disaster. So there's a project being done out of Tanzania where they're equipping rats uh, with tiny backpacks. So it's like little rats with like little mini backpacks. And the backpacks have trackers, location trackers and microphones um, to help them locate trapped earthquake survivors. Oh. So this is being spearheaded uh, by 
partially out of Scotland, partially out of uh, East Africa by a research scientist named Donna Keen. And the project is called Hero Rats. And they've so far trained seven rats to navigate disaster sites and track people stuck in rubble. Um, they've sent a couple to Turkey, which deals with a lot of earthquakes. And so at the moment, over a training period that apparently takes two weeks, they, again, equip the rats with little mini backpacks, little cute little backpacks, though rats are sort of nasty, but the backpacks are cute with rats with backpacks. And there's a microphone, they send them to mock debris, and apparently um, they're hoping that this is uh, gonna help save some lives. That's awesome. Um, and not many times that I would actually be rooting for the rats, uh, but in this case, I, I will, for sure. If you're stuck in earthquake debris, you're like, I really pray to, I can see a rat soon. Like, where's the rat? Oh. I just, you know what, all I think about when I hear uh, a rat is the, the rat that was carrying an entire slice of pizza down a New York a City rat. subway. And I'm like, oh, you know, it, I don't know. New York City, just I think living in New York City for a long time, rats are just, you know, a little, get a little squeamish. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll promise for next uh, next Monday, Jill, we'll, we'll have some good news not related to rats for you. But <laughs> until until then, Jill, uh, read us out. Okay, this Mo News podcast was written by yours truly, Jill Wagner. It's copy edited by the man whose name is on the letterhead, Mo Shwanunu. A huge, huge thank you to 1022 Media, specifically Jeff and Callie Dollar for getting this podcast up and running Mosh, I think it was about four days, which it has to be a record, right? We, we, we set a clock last week. We're like, we're doing this next week. And by the way, during a move. So I really appreciate it. And a big thanks as well to uh, your wife, Alex, who created some really great artwork for us. Yeah, she uh, she designed the logo that you see on the podcast and um, a lot of the great things that you're seeing on the Instagram feed. So uh, thanks to Al and uh, the whole team. This podcast has been a long time in coming. I know I've heard from some of you on the Instagram going back two years being like, it'd be really nice if I could get some of this news on a podcast. I said, we're working on it. We're working on it. Well, we worked on it. And so uh, we are going to be, again, Jill and I will be doing this for the next few weeks. And then uh, we'll see how it goes. And until then, I will continue to be doing uh, Mondays with uh, Motion Alex. You'll have that on the Instagram feed Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. It'll be over on the podcast um, soon enough. And then uh, there are other ways we will keep you up to date. All right. Um, and, and I think that, Mosh, are you done with your uh, mocktail right now? Uh, we're down to the bottom. I realized the I took, I don't know if someone wants to go back and listen to the feed, but there was a slurp during one of the stories. And I was like, oh, oh I got to the bottom. <laughs> In our rehearsal, we did one rehearsal for just a little behind the scenes that Mosh was just a slurp machine to the point where I'm like, Mosh, we hear you. We hear you slurping. <laughs> it's a sound effect. I'm, I'm going to work on not eating or drinking too much during the recording of, of this podcast. But Jill, uh, we're going to be doing this Mondays and Thursdays, right? Correct. Uh, so we're going to be back Thursday for news between now and then. Of course, check out at Mosh on Instagram. Also, sign up for our newsletter. You can do that at monews.bulletin.com. Hope you enjoyed. We'd love your feedback and have a great few days. <laughs>